The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello there, and welcome to the Roto-World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, is Chris Crawford. Chris, we are five games, five days away from the end of the season. It's it's ridiculous to think in a sport that is so based on a marathon that we're sitting here eight and a half weeks in and we're we're wrapping up the season we're talking about 2021 it's weird as hell it's really weird it's, what's weird to me is i was just looking at the standings and by the way it's still so weird that it's hard to find playoff standings like it's for some reason websites apparently are it's almost like they're protesting this 16 team <laughs> playoffs but there's only four teams eliminated right now and i think baseball has to love that that there's even though there are some teams that have very small chances to make the playoffs, a lot of 1%, 2% teams. But with five days to go, you've got 26 teams still alive to make the playoffs. That's uh, not something I've ever seen before, and I hopefully I'll never see it again. But Because uh, even, even with this new 16-team thing, very likely to continue, because of how many games they play, you're just – you're going to see a lot more teams eliminated when you take away, when you add, excuse me, an, an extra 102 games. But this is nuts. Yeah, I mean, I can't complain at all about what we're seeing in this final week. From a take fantasy baseball aside, and I know this is a fantasy baseball podcast, but whatever, we're going to take a break in a second. <laughs> the, the fact that we're sitting here right now, you say, what, four teams have been eliminated? We're talking about teams like the Orioles still having a shot. We're talking about teams with the Marlins still having a shot. Your Mariners still have a shot. Like, mm-hmm. it feels awesome to be saying these names right. when for the last decade plus, they are not much more than an afterthought. Like, it feels really good. They are, they are the fodder that playoff teams have to go through before they become the playoff teams that we all expected them to be. And every year, there's always one or two teams that surprise. Whether or not they make the playoffs or not is a completely irrelevant concept. At least, at the very least, they have forced their way into the conversation for next year or the year after. This year, with the expanded playoffs, I mean, it's just wide open. It's very weird. And I do have to say, like, 
So it's it is the regular season, you know. But there there are fantasy implications here, especially in DFS leagues, and that's something that we'll kind of go over as we're doing this podcast into the playoffs. But um, that cre- the, the the eight the the first round series, whatever the heck you want to call it, the one through eight playing each other, it's going to create a lot of opportunity more so than just when it's just the ALDS and NLCS. There's there's going to be more opportunity, and for those of you who like to play the daily fantasy leagues, and that's becoming more and more popular for sure. Yes, I it mean, is. There, there's no doubt about it that it's going to be playing a huge effect on that. And uh, I'd say that's that's one of the positive benefits. The, the negative benefit for me is I try not to be too big of a baseball purist, but <laughs> it is frustrating for me to see teams that are on about 71 paces for qualifying for the playoffs or possibly qualifying for the playoffs. But you just got to take the bitter with the better right now. Right. And when you talk about those on pace for 70, 71, 72 win seasons, those guys have a best of three series against teams that have earned their way into the postseason on an expanded basis that could usurp them. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we, we will sit here right now on at this recording. What is it? The 22nd. We'll sit here on the 22nd and say that we love this final week. But talk to me in three weeks when <laughs> chaos reigns and all of a sudden teams that deserve to be farther in the playoffs are losing the teams that had no right to be in the playoffs in a prior version. We'll complain about it then. But at the moment, we're going to get maybe the most interesting final week of the season since, if I'm going to date it, what, 2012 when we had game 162? where we had that unbelievable final day of the season, like that could be what occurs this week. I didn't even think 2012 was a real thing. That's uh, it's good to know that uh, there were times before this. I, I thought I dreamed them, but I, they I did exist. Fun fact. I, they I did exist. I guess I just, uh, this has been such a long year, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be interesting. The, the, the last Sunday of the year can could be, one of the most interesting days in baseball history. And by definition, I think it is just because, I mean, the, the term unprecedented times has been thrown out an awful lot lately, but these are unprecedented times. And this is something will, it'll be nuts because it really looks like it's going to come down to that last day. And there's going to be some weird stuff too, since there's no one game playoff for these teams to get in. So those division records and stuff, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I'm I'm cautiously pessimistic, I guess, about it working going forward. Look, it'll get even more interesting if we get down to a winning percentage conversation versus a yeah. equal record conversation. That will make this right. even more Ooh. fraught with issue as we have a <laughs> our own little version of a college football playoff debate going on here in terms of who deserved <laughs> to be in and who didn't. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk quickly. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, a you really dig us, and I appreciate that. Or b you're sitting here in your fantasy baseball finals, and if so, congratulations to you if you are still sitting here with a chance for a title. It has been a weird season, and if you are sitting here with five, six days left before a potential title, you have earned your right. No one lucked into a final here this year it just is too damn weird yeah it's especially i think that's true this year because 
There's so much weird fluctuation. You got to remember, too, that this is, I mean, if this was a regular season, we'd be talking about, it's it's right around the 60 game point, we'd be talking about end of May, start of June. I mean, yep. so there, there is something to that to be said, too, that like, look, that's uh, uh, taking a, a two month sample. But at the same time, um, you you want to play matchups here and you want to make sure that you have uh, guys who are performing well, but also, you know, if, if there's, if you have a similar, uh, similar stats for guys that are playing in Yankee stadium or Coors field, uh, you know, Co- Yankee stadium is friendly, but Coors field is friendlier. Look at, you got to look at that stuff. You can't, uh, if you're in the championship, you're probably not resting on your laurels anyway, but it's really important to make sure you keep an eye out on stuff. And especially this year, um, where as soon as teams get eliminated, they'll put guys, um, there's there's no reason to, to risk guys playing right now. You really got to make sure you're checking that waiver wire. Make sure you're reading DJ's article for uh, guys who are on that waiver wire um, because it, it, there's there's nothing left. You, you really got to make sure that you have uh, the right guys playing. But uh, uh, it's I keep going back to how weird all of this is, but... Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There, you can't uh, you can't assume anything for these last five days. Names mean nothing over the last five days, and I, I know that yeah. is something that feels wrong from a fantasy owner standpoint. But names mean nothing if you're not playing. If they're if they're playing in tough matchups against good pitchers, I would happily happily take a fringy waiver wire guy who's going to bat five at-bats in a game over an Aaron Judge who, from right now till the end of the season, the Yankees have already clinched. They're probably not catching the Tampa Bay Rays. Guess what? The Yankees could very easily play him two games from now till the end of the, end of the week. Right. It's very possible that that could occur. Two, three games, maybe pull him early defensively, maybe lose an at-bat later in the game. That is a very real possibility. You're not going to win with an Aaron Judge this week you're going to win with a Matt Walsh this week. You're going to win with somebody weird this week. That's how it's going to be. You find somebody who is going to get you at bats and get you opportunities to win. And obviously from a starting pitching standpoint, you go out there and you grab if if Matt Boyd's playing the Royals, and I'm making that up because I actually do not know offhand about what the Tiger schedule is till the end of this week. But if you are talking about a, I would rather have a Matt Boyd against the Royals than a uh, than a Pat Corbin against uh, Atlanta right now. Like there's a right. very real possibility that Matt Boyd is going to get you more stats than Pat Corbin is. So like just just keep that in mind if you are in the finals here, if you are looking, if the finish line is on the horizon, make sure you remember just because the guys got you here does not mean they're going to get you over the finish line. It is something I have seen countless times, whether it's fantasy baseball, whether it's fantasy football, that happens every year. When I watch someone do such tremendous work for how many weeks and blow it in the finals because they fell in love with a name that got them to the finals, but that's not the name that's going to get them to the championship. I hate to go on a uh, an off uh, tangent, even though it seems like we do at least one every week because it's fun. At least. Can you believe the amount of injuries that we had in fantasy football this week? Holy I, uh, crap on a cracker. 
that I am, was... I am truly staring at my like five or six fantasy teams now and just, and just cringing. I don't know what to do today. As we talk, we're recording right now on Tuesday. So obviously waiver wires are going in tonight. I, right. I am after this show before I edit and before I post and before we do all of that, you know, important stuff, I am just going to sit there in front of my screen for like 45 minutes and just try and figure out how to salvage teams out of this week. But back to baseball. Uh, yeah, one of the things that you should definitely be doing, and I'll, I'll obviously uh, promote our website, is check out Road World's daily lineups because yes. you want to make absolute sure that these guys are playing. That seems like such an obvious point. But because, you know, there's some guys having some huge years on teams that are not going to make the playoffs. You want to make sure that these guys are not being rested and, uh, you know, make sure you have your your settings so that if you're if you're playing on an app in whatever league that you, you get notifications if they're out of the lineup. But a, a real easy thing to do is just go to worldworld.com and, and look at those lineups to to make sure that a just off the top of my head, a, a Christian Walker isn't out of the lineup or yes. a uh, if you picked up a key Brian Hayes, who was playing pretty well. Uh, make sure he's still because that's definitely a team that's been eliminated from the playoffs for sure is the Pirates. But uh, but yeah, just just do your due diligence. Make sure uh, that these guys are playing as obvious as that sounds. It it really can screw people up. I almost said a bad word there. It can really screw people up if they if they just assume guys are going to be playing over this final week. Every single year, without fail, I've watched people mess this up at the end, which is the reason why I am forcing you guys, I'm screaming into this microphone right now for you to not let up. That is not the way you're going to win a championship, is by riding the same team that you have. It is It is the week 17 of fantasy football right now. It is People are going to be randomly sat. Guys are going to be rested. This is one of those times where if you're going to get the title, you're going to have to put in the work. Do not pull up at the last second, get over the finish line. So the idea of the show today is that we are going to essentially buy or sell 2020 performances, whether or not if this player, I don't know if you guys had a chance, but I highly encourage you to do so. Go back and listen to the last episode that we had. DJ and Drew did their 2021 bounce back candidates. They kind of went position by position. It was a great episode. But what we want to kind of look at today is, all right, if we're sitting here, not only as fantasy baseball owners, but as theoretical GMs, because, you know, we think ourselves highly like that. We're going to look at the performances from such a small 60 game window and how much stock do we put into the good performances that players had or the bad performances that players had. And especially we're going to focus today on the upcoming free agents in terms of how do you dictate what someone did this year in terms of how you theoretically pay them. But we're going to look at these, at essentially those type of players and kind of start looking, Hey, how much stock do I put into next season, the stats that they had this season? And let's start probably, in my mind, the front runner for the AL MVP, Jose Abreu, first baseman for the White Sox. Guy has been just stellar, just stellar this year. His 2020 stats, a 333 batting average, 18 home runs, 55 RBIs. 
for a White Sox team that has already clinched the Central and just looks primed to crush for the next five, six years at least. Obviously, Jose Abreu is going to be a, a, a great pick next year. I don't think either of us, I mean, Chris, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I assume you're not sitting here thinking, oh, he's just suddenly an outside the top 10 first baseman. This was an aberration. <laughs> I can't imagine you're sitting there fighting that fight. But no. when we look at Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu on average was the sixth first baseman drafted in fantasy leagues in some, on ESPN leagues, he was the eighth first baseman drafted. So when we look at next year, obviously when we talk about Jose Abreu, the question really asks, how much are you buying or selling this season in terms of his redraft for next year? I think he's top five, but I don't know if he's any higher than that for me. I mean, you look at the numbers, and, and they're very impressive. 332, 379, 650 is a heck of a season. Um, so the thing with me, and this is true about real life, and this is true about fantasy, I think, is that I think relying on RBI totals for the next year is a mistake. So one of the reasons he's been so good this year, on top of that great line, is that he's driven in 56 runs in, a, I, I don't have the games right in front of me, but it's it's very close to the same amount of games. Um, as good as that White Sox lineup is, it's reasonable to expect a regression there. It's just really hard to, with with some exceptions, to expect a player to keep a 150-plus RBI rate into a next season. That White Sox lineup is legit. Luis Robert is going to be better. Nick Madrigal probably hitting ahead of him is, should be able to get on it a nice clip. But it's a mistake to rely on RBI. So I, I will point that out. Um, but if you look at the... His, uh, if you go to Baseball Savant, which is just an, a wonderful website, everything is elite. His exit velocity, his hard hit percentage, his uh, WOBA, his barrel percentage. The only thing that isn't elite is that he is uh, below average in swing percentage. He, well, he whiffs about 27% of times in swings, and obviously he's not going to help you in steals. He never was. But the talent's always been there, and he's 33, but I think – that's a young 33. So yeah, I, I'm betting on Jose Abreu to be good, but I, the only caution I'll have is that RBI uh, stat, I would expect some regression there. Uh, even even if though it was only a two-month sample, you just can't expect somebody to drive in 160 runs. Yeah, I think when you talk about Abreu, you're talking about someone who I think for the first time in his entire career has the motivation that his season is going to last more than the All-Star break. Right. which I think has been one thing that he's never really had the opportunity to do. And this year, obviously his first chance to really be on a, a truly winning team and he is rewarding owners for, for investing in him. I agree with you there. I think Jose Abreu is going to be very good next year. Do I think he's going to be MVP type numbers? I don't. I think no. there's just, I, I, I think this is, he was a great person that we expected to step up even if we didn't know it was him specifically, this was the type of guy who was going to step up over a 60 game season. Like this was the perfect type of player to do so next year. I have my conversations. I, ha or I should say I have my worries over a 162 game season, whether he can continue this for the duration 
and not kind of fall back into, you know, back half of the top 10 first base numbers. One of the things that I think is still a red flag for me in terms of Abreu, especially when you compare him to the other elite first baseman, is that he's still not much of a walker. Like only no. 14 walks and 219 at bats. Like it's not exactly, he's not a guy who's going to get you OBP. He's not a guy who's going to constantly get on first base, even in a lineup this year where he finally has protection in front and behind him. He still is not walking and pitchers are pitching around him and he's still not walking. So I think that kind of caps his value when I talk about looking at him next year because he's not going to be that Anthony Rizzo guy who is going to constantly get on first base because whether he gets hit by a pitch because he loves doing that or walks, he's going to get on first base. That's something you can kind of bank on. Abreu, he's going to be someone who has to hit to get on base. Yeah, and the, another thing just to keep in mind too is that because he is uh, not fleet of foot, although sprint speed of 47 is – you know, for a first baseman, it's decent, but you're not going to get a lot of infield singles with Jose Abreu. I think that's fair to say. So, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I, I that, that would be one concern for me, too, especially if I'm playing in a league that, uh, and hopefully you are, they sh- your league should have on-base percentage as a category, in my personal opinion. I totally get playing the 5x5, five five, but it's just on-base percentage, I think, is such a more fair stat to judge a player on than batting average. But... But yeah, that, that's a great point, but his power is always going to be there, and boy, the ball just jumps off that dude's bat. So so yeah, it, I'd be a little hesitant, but still, to me, I, I I would draft him in the top five of first baseman. Marcelo Zuna, uh, outfielder for Atlanta. Look, he came over, St. Louis did not sign him in the offseason. Sorry, Drew. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to emphasize these points. I can't help that. Uh, he came over in the off season. I signed a one year, $18 million deal with Atlanta and has generously rewarded them for doing so batting three, entering today, batting three sixteen with 15 home runs and 48 RBIs leading the NL, um, with a nine ninety six OPS Com- coupled that with last year when he was on St. Louis, where he hit two forty one with 29 home runs, 89 RBIs, and an 800 OPS, has been markedly better this year. I mean, truly looks like a different player, looks healthy, looks rejuvenated, has just had a stellar year this year. Are you buying or selling Marcelo Zuna's 2020 stats, or are you looking more at 2019 for him? Yes. (laughs) That's, That's the total thing for me with Marcelo Zuna and it may be over, oversimplifying things. It really depends on what team he's playing for next year. Because Which is a very fair if, point. If he's back with the Braves, I love him. I, that lineup is so good. But you do have to keep in mind that Atlanta has two top outfield prospects that look ready to go in Christian Pache and Drew Waters. And also that he's he, he is a free agent at the end of this year, correct? So correct. I... he's going to probably in a market that is limited, get some pretty solid offers. So it's really, if he's back with Atlanta, I want him. I mean, that's to me, that's a guy who's worth a a top 35 pick. I I like him that much in that Atlanta lineup. If he goes somewhere else, 
there's still a lot to like, but I, I do think that there is something about um, that lineup protection. Lineup protection may not be real in real life, but it's very real in fantasy. It, it matters. There's, there's more chances to drive in runs. Um, there's something to say about familiarity. He clearly enjoys playing in that park. But everything is elite except for whiff percentage with him. He's, there's no question that he's got uh, lucky with some batting average balls in play type of stuff. But he is crushing the baseball. And in that Atlanta lineup, he's going to have a chance to drive in 100, 120 runs because it's it's good. It, it may be next year the best lineup in baseball. That's, that may seem like uh, hyperbole, but I don't think it is, especially if Ronald Acuna Jr. plays uh, a healthy full season. That is a loaded lineup, and but if he if he goes somewhere where he is the offensive option, I, I have to sell him a little bit. But if he's back in Atlanta, there's an awful lot to like about that. Uh, let's stick with another free agent after the season and another outfielder who I think is truly interesting, mainly in the sense that he's the opposite of Ozuna here. Whereas Ozuna had a great 2020 and everyone's going to have to figure out how we value him moving into 2021. George Springer has not had a great 2020 and he is a free agent at the end of this season. He has been phenomenal for the last few years, but this year just could not get things together, at least in the terms of what we've come to expect from him. 253, 345 and 529 slash 13 home runs, 28 RBIs, 35 runs is still pretty nice, but an 875 OPS is way below his average over the last four years. When we talk about George Springer, I mean, he's been synonymous with a power hitter at the top of the lineup, which is kind of becoming more and more in vogue where five years ago, that was not a thing. I think George Springer has kind of made that a thing over the last few seasons. I mean, last year he hit 39 home runs and 96 RBIs batting leadoff for basically the entire year. This year he just has not been able to get everything going. Truthfully, most of the Astros have not been able to get things going. Insert your no one's no one's banging a trash can joke here, but uh how do you evaluate George Springer? George Springer was a top 25 pick, top 20 pick in some leagues this season. After the year that he has here, are you banking that he is still a top 20 player or are you falling outside? I'm going outside, but not by much. I think one thing we do have to keep in mind, it's it surprised me this, but to see this, but George Springer turned 31 on September 19th. Uh, so he's not as young, I think, as some people say. But I'm, I am still buying him as a, as a fantasy viable player. Um, I think it's worth pointing out with Springer's numbers. He hit in July, he hit 120 with a 498 OPS. That was only seven games. But seven games this year means a lot more than seven games in a 162 uh, game season. Then in August, he was 242, 370, 485. And that was a batting average balls in play of 250, which is well below his average, uh, and especially for a guy who makes as much hard contact. Uh, since September, 304, 353, 658, eight homers in that time span. Only the one stolen base, you're not going to get – I don't think you're going to get steals from Springer going forward anymore. So that's that's something I think you need to uh, kind of wipe out. Um, but that he's played much more like the talented player that uh, he is – 
similar to Ozuna, I think the lineup's going to matter, but I, I do think that Springer has been better than his numbers suggest. I mean, in that July th- July seven games, batting average balls of play of .105. That means that 90% of the balls that he put in play were, or close to it were being uh, caught for, for outs and maybe not a lot of hard contact, but that's almost impossible to have that low of a batting average balls in play. So yeah, I'm still buying Springer, but it, it is worth pointing out that he is on the wrong side of 30. He has had injury issues. So a little bit of buyer beware, but if he's slipping in a draft in 2021, I think that there's uh, some real upside that goes with the reward with, goes with the risk as well. Assuming that Springer, regardless of what team he signs with, and I think Houston will make a concerted effort to re-sign him, but regardless of what team he signs with, if he is still going to be batting leadoff, I think unlike Ozuna, he's someone that you can bank a little harder on because he kind of has his own route to his production rather than hinging on what other people around him might be doing. So I think that's just something to keep in mind when we talk about these two players entering next season. But mm-hmm. Springer has, I think, a long enough history for me where I feel pretty confident about drafting him in 2021. I mean, he's a guy sure. that we've seen over the last five years, really, just be an absolute menace at the top of a lineup. And few few other leadoff hitters out there can combine that kind of power and and speed and ability to get on base really around the rest of the league. So if you're telling me that in non-dynasty redraft leagues that George Springer is still sitting there somewhere in the, you know, 15 to 25 range next year, I believe that. And I think I would have no problem grabbing him there, but I think something to kind of keep in mind, hidden leading him being a leadoff hitter, and assuming that he will remain a leadoff hitter next year, I think helps his value more than other guys like Ozuna. Absolutely agree. Uh, let's stick with, I think, one of the more surprising players this season, uh, just in terms of what he's done. And obviously he had an injury that kind of put a put a stop into what was a maybe a top five MVP season. Teoscar Hernandez, outfielder for the Blue Jays. I mean, so far on the year, a 310 batting average, uh, 16 home runs, 32 RBIs, five stolen bases with a, a 989 OPS. Look, this was a guy who was a top prospect for a while. We've seen him kind of have flashes, but this was easily the most, the best we've seen from him. I mean, last year, sure. He had 26 home runs and 65 RBIs, but he only batted 230. Like this was a guy that last year was far more boomer bust than this year where he's batting over 300. So if you're looking at his 2020 stats, this was his breakout season here, Chris, are you buying his 2020 stats as something moving forward into next year? Bye, 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 bye. And keep in mind, I'm using UY, not YE there. Bye. This is absolutely a player that I'm believing in. Yes, it's only a sample size of before tonight, 188 plate appearances. But listen to these numbers just in terms of percentile ranks. Exit velocity, 97%. Hard hit percentage, 98%. 
XWOBA, 96%. XBA, 94%. X slugging, 99%. Barrel percentage, 99%. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's those are type of numbers that you see from like the Mike Trouts. And he really has had a season that competes with those type of guys this year. I mean, 972 OPS coming into tonight. Sounds like he may have gotten a couple of knocks tonight. And then a sprint speed of 84%. I mean, he's not a good outfielder, but he is one of those rare guys who has speed that isn't a great defender, but can definitely help you in the stolen base categories. I also love that Toronto lineup. I still am a huge believer in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Despite mediocre numbers, I think you have to keep his age in mind there. And uh, a huge, obviously believer in Bo Bichette. I love Kevin Biggio. There are lots of opportunity. I think Toronto's building something special there. And the fact that Teoscar Hernandez has broken out just kind of adds to that. This is, it's never been a question about talent. And we've seen splashes like this. This is, this is my one tiny concern is that he has had month samples of, uh, you know, being an elite type player, but it's been consistent this year. And it, unfortunately it'll only be a two month sample because of everything that went on. But this is this looks legit to me. And, and some of this is, I do have to admit, as a prospect guy, a lot of this has to do with the eye test. I've gotten a chance to watch him a lot. He just looks, I hate the term locked in, but he looks absolutely locked in. And he is just spraying the baseball right now. I am taking this guy early in 2021. And I will, uh, I will wager my, my fantasy card that... He is one of the better outfielders again uh, next season. I absolutely believe in the talent of Hernandez. I believe in his talent too, but I I, I pump the brakes a little tiny bit when it comes to when you say early, when you say early, define early. (laughs) You know what? I have to emphasize define early because when I hear early, Uh, I hear first two, three rounds. Are you good with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm taking I'm taking okay. him in in the first. Th- I'm not taking him in the first two rounds. That's as if you're playing in a standard twelve team league, that's a top twenty four pick. I'm not doing that. There there are too many really really good baseball players that have more than a two month sample. But third round, middle of third round, absolutely, I'm taking him. Yeah, that's that. So I I will clarify that that no, I am not suggesting that you take him over a Freddie Freeman or taking him over a a Juan Soto or Fernando Tatis or any of those guys who should be long off the board, but, or um, uh, it's running, running blanks here. But in that next area of rankings, I am definitely putting him in that top 25, top 30 range. Okay. No, I, I think I'm fine with that. Again, I kind of put him in somewhere in that kind of like high end mid tier range. Because I I don't find him as a bona fide star. Like, I need to see more from him. I mean, sure, he's had a phenomenal two months. But, I mean, last season he was above average. Above average does not put me in the top four rounds. So, if you believe firmly in this year, which, again, the stats that you throw out are very, you know, eye-opening. But... We'll see how everything plays out next year. Let's see where a couple of these guys fall. But for me, I think he is a guy that I'm hoping will slip to, say, me in a fourth round rather than someone I'm going to jump up and grab simply because, 
especially at the beginning of a fantasy baseball draft, I am far more hesitant to grab someone who I think is a spark in the pan rather than someone who I know at the end of the year I'm getting bona fide numbers from. So I think that's the only breaks I will pump on that. But I've loved watching him play this year. I think he is phenomenal. Like you said, love that Toronto's lineup. That Blue Jays lineup is going to get better and better as we continue on. And Teoscar Hernandez is going to be a major part of that in the middle of it. I, I am happy to bet on upside, and Teoscar Hernandez has plenty of it. All right, let's hit a promo here. Guys, the all-new Roto World Premium subscription packages have the tools and resources you need to dominate your fantasy leagues from drafts through playoffs. Best of all, subscriptions are not just one sport. They include football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. And better yet, as a listener of the Roto World Fantasy Baseball podcast, you also get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto World Premium. So to find your edge, visit rotoworld.com slash edge using the promo code BBPOD10 at checkout. That promo code again, BBPOD10. All right, let's flip over to some pitchers here. And let's start with Dylan Bundy, who, by all accounts, may be the most impressive year-to-year increase in terms of production over any pitcher in major leagues. Dylan Bundy in 2020, six and three with a 3.29 ERA, 65 and two thirds innings pitched, 72 strikeouts in those 65 innings to only 17 walks with a 1.036 whip. Chris, over his last, dating back to 2016, so 2016 to 2019, he was 38 and 45 with a 4-7 ERA and less than a strikeout per inning and a 1-3-3 whip. This year he's looked excellent. Do you buy Dylan Bundy having turned the corner for the Angels into 2021? Yes, I think so. And I do have to say, man, pitchers, Baltimore, what you doing, man? There's such a history of this now. Um, But I think think Bundy deserves a lot of credit for – kind of reinventing himself because he's not the flamethrower that he once was. His fastball velocity uh, ranks in the 18th percentile right now, but he gets a lot of spin on it. And every other figure other than curveball spin, uh, if you go to baseball savant is in the red and we, we want numbers in the red Um, throwing strikes uh, looks confident out there. Uh, My only caveat is um, whether or not he can, do it over a, a full 162-game season. We really haven't seen him do that yet. We won't, obviously, this year. Um, but based on the eye test and based on the numbers, I think Bundy's a solid fantasy performer. I don't think he's ever going to be a fantasy ace, uh, which is disappointing considering that this was arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball not that long ago. But he's a solid hurler, and I think uh, the Angels should be very, very happy with what they've gotten. And I think fantasy players should too. The angels should very, should be very happy about what they've gotten from Dylan Bundy this year. However, the fact that they wasted it by not having anything else around him to get, I mean, we, we basically expanded the playoffs to everybody gets in and Mike Trout still somehow is not in, but oh, it sucks. we're Dylan Bundy for me is, I think I, and I've gone over this and I've waffled on this 
all day as we've set up this show in terms of what oh. I think of him in terms of 2021. And I, I want to say, yes, I believe in Dylan Bundy. I've watched him this year. I think he's looked really good. He finally looks like he's settled down and kind of, for lack of a better term, fits his body, which kind of feels weird to say for someone who is not a prospect anymore, but he looks finally like he is settled on the mound. Do I think he can do this over 162 games? I, I, I can't. I can't say yes. And when we talk about drafting him for next year, he's still going to be a guy that I think people will end up reaching to go grab Dylan Bundy based on a small sample size. I won't be one of them. I just think Dylan Bundy is a guy that he's going to be good, but I've watched him be nothing more than a streamer for the last five years for me to suddenly right. take two months and say, yeah, he's a bona fide top 30 starter. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the, the, I guess the one thing to keep in mind, too, is that uh, even though it seems like Dylan Bombi has been around forever, no, just turned 27. So I, obviously um, some some room to grow. I, I don't think we're, we're going to see him ever throw harder again. It, it's just not usually how this works, although we have seen some examples with how training works that that could happen. But I, I think the fastball sin is, spin is really, really – uh, something to that, to look at here. And I do think even though it's very fun to make fun of the Angels, as even though it sucks because of Mike Trout and we all want to see him play in the postseason, I do think they'll be better next year. I don't know how they could be much worse, but it, that, it, it's definitely a risky guy. But um, if he's available in those mid-rounds, I've taken the chance that this is legit. Let's let's hop up to the top of next year's draft, or at least. And here's the question I want to ask you: When we talk about Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer is going to be a free agent after the season, and he is going to come off easily his best season in the majors right now. I mean, he's got a four and four record. Take the losses out of the way because he's got a one point eight ERA, sixty five innings pitch with eighty eight strikeouts to only sixteen walks. His whip right now is .815, which is, I think, second in the majors behind DeGrom, or third in the majors behind DeGrom and Bieber, to give you a, to a level of how good he has been. Now, obviously, we do not know what team he will be playing for next year. But the Brash Bauer is going to argue that he should be a top five starting pitcher entering next season. Are you buying that? I wouldn't go top five, but I would say top eight to 10, somewhere in that range. I mean, look, you can't argue with these numbers. I mean, 60, 88 strikeouts and 65 innings and a 1.80 ERA are what they are. I mean, they're elite. And a, another guy that doesn't um, comparatively, obviously, in, in the older days, like in the mid-90s, that his fastball would be elite, but it only ranks in the 22nd percentile. But it's, nobody gets more spin on his fastball, and that matters. And... Uh, no, very few people get as much spin on their curveball, and that's why his numbers are elite. And I think he's one of those guys that, if he stays in Cincinnati, you know that you may prefer him to go to a different team because maybe a little less uh, likely to give up homers. But I think he's kind of ballpark proof. Uh, somebody's going to spend an awful lot of money on him, I think, because uh, there's just so few starting pitching options available 
Um, I, I don't think it really matters where he goes. I think he's kind of locked into that eight to 10, maybe dozen range at, at worst, but there, there's an awful lot to like about Trevor Bauer and he just seems to be getting better. Liam Hendricks, closer for the athletics he has been just utterly dominant since he took over the closing job from Blake Trinan last year. So far in 2023, you know, with a 1-2-3 ERA, 13 saves, uh, 32 strikeouts in 22 innings to only three walks. Uh, last two years, 2019 and 2020, he's 7-4 with a 1-6-8 ERA, 38 saves, and a hundred and uh, no, I don't have the strikeouts in front of me here, but 24 walks and 107 innings pitch and 0.9 whip. Uh, he's a free agent after this year. Look, he's been really good, but we know how closers are and we know how temperamental and ridiculous closers can be. If I'm looking at the closer market next year, I mean, Kenley Jansen is at the top. I mean, theoretically, a healthy Kirby Yates is up there. Um, but where are you ranking Liam Hendricks, who has really put up elite closer numbers on a really, really good athletics team? But we know for every, you know, a role this Chapman, there's a Craig Kimbrell out there. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one. And I really do think it's, it's kind of... Uh chickening out a little bit but it's really going to depend on where he lands at his team if he's back with Oakland and you know we we certainly know that Oakland is a small market team um I think there was a movie about it but it's uh, it's one of those things where if he's if he's signing with another club like let's say the Red Sox uh use their financial flexibility to sign Liam Hendricks um you know that it'll be tough to rank him because I I'm not so sure so much of the reliever rankings are based on saves because it is unlike real life, <laughs> the saves matter the most in fantasy baseball. And you cannot predict how many times a player is going to get to pitch in a game with a three runner less lead in the top of the ninth inning or the bottom of the ninth inning. It's really hard to do. Certainly going to miss a lot of bats. Uh, I think that some people might be scared off by, um, what Blake Trinan did for some reason that, that you shouldn't be comparing those two guys. I've, I've seen people do that on Twitter just because Blake Trinan had one mediocre year. He's st he's still a solid pitcher, obviously in a setup role, he doesn't have as much value, but Lena Henderson pitch. And I think that, uh, you know, at age 31, he's still got some, some ammunition left in the right arm. Uh, it, it will depend on where he signs, but assuming he signs for a team that gives him that 40 save chances, I, I'd say he's a top five closer for sure. I, I mean, it's hard for me to argue with that point simply because we have seen such volatility from the closer spot for so long. Right. And That's I mean, point. really on one hand, I can count reliable closers and even those closers are suddenly becoming less and less reliable by the start. So absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about Liam Hendricks, he's looked really good for not just a short two-month season this year. He looked excellent last year. And sure, is he, yeah. Yeah, sure, is he 32? Yes. But from a reliever standpoint, I don't think that's as damning as if he were a starter. 
I think this is someone that no. you can rely upon. His stuff has looked excellent. He's going to get, I mean, he's going to get paid to close somewhere. He's not going to be a setup right. guy after the, after a season and a half like he's had. So you assume that if someone's going to pony up and pay that kind of cash to a 32 year old closer, it's going to be a team that is good. Um, that is going to give him save opportunities. If so, I'm with you. I think Liam Hendricks is a top five closer next year. I really like him moving into 2021. Real, real quick on, on Hendricks too. I think one thing to keep in mind is that one of the things you want to look at with closers is whether or not they were overworked. Uh, nobody really is going to be, although you want to look at the games pitched. Like he's appeared before tonight in 21 games, which puts him right at about a, a 60 game pace. That is not overworking a, a closer. So I, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm more optimistic, but uh, definitely something to keep in mind when you're looking at hurlers the next year, if they pitched in that 75 to 80 game rate, that there, there's a lot more risk coming into the next season. We have seen a history of that. There are very few Scott Proctors who you probably remember uh, very much Colin, so, who yes. uh, have, Seem to. Uh, I, I like to joke on Twitter that Joe Torre is warming up Scott Proctor somewhere quite often because it seems like he was pitching every every two of every three games for for a while there. But absolutely something that you want to look at with uh, relievers is how much they appeared the year before. Somewhere Scott Proctor is warming up next to Kyle Farnsworth, and I'm almost sure <laughs> of it. I know it's happening somewhere. I don't know where, but I'd love to watch it. Let's end. Um, Let's end with one last guy here, another impending free agent, but I think he's a really fascinating case. Robbie Ray. We've talked about him on this show in the past just because he has been so ungodly bad this year. He has been awful. A 7.17 ERA, 41 walks in 47 innings. I mean, it's his whip is 1.9. It is bad and we're not going to pretend anything about this it's bad but if you were to look at the three prior seasons from 2017 to 2019 a 33 and 15 record with a 372 era a 12 k per nine a 1.27 whip i mean he's been a guy who has been who's been getting you strikeouts who's been getting wins who has been pitching a lot of innings but this year he has just been abysmal and walks have always been an issue for him. Even over the last, I emphasize those good numbers from 2017 through 2019, still 4.4 walks per nine. Like it's not good. You know, you're going to get walks with him, but Robbie Ray for a very long period was always kind of in that. If he fixes that one final thing, he's going to move from like a top 45 starting pitcher to a top, 25 starting pitcher this year. It's been the exact opposite of that. He has been droppable in every league since week three, right. but what are, he's a free agent after the season. Again, we do not know where he's going to land and that will obviously have some impact on this when we talk about this in the future, but you're sitting here now looking at Robbie Ray's abysmal 2020. Are you, do you feel hope that he can bounce back for 2021? I would have the utmost cautious optimism about him bouncing back. He is in that relationship. You know, there's the fixer upper, the uh, I can change him or her. 
That's kind of Robbie Ray. And one thing I think that's worth pointing out is, so he he made a change in his delivery. And there just, I don't think, was enough time for that change to really work. Because, I mean, he's like you said, he's always had issues with walks. But this year, I mean, it was hard to, it's hard to watch a pitch because he has no clue where the ball is going. I mean, he still has good stuff. But my other concern with him would be that even when he is throwing strikes, he's getting hit hard. I mean, he ranks in the bottom four in exit velocity. He ranks in the bottom four in barrel percentage. Still getting misses because his pitches have so much movement. And that's one of the reasons I think that his control kind of suffers is because there is so much uh, spin on that fastball that it's very hard for him to locate it where he wants to locate it. Uh, But there hasn't been enough spin this year because he's been hit hard on top of uh, on top of the fact that he's put so much self-inflicted damage. But the one thing I'd say is that next year, if we do get a normal spring training and the word normal, I think I've said a few times tonight, but if he does get that chance to build up to either go back to the old uh, mechanics or to implement the new mechanics on a more consistent basis. There's some upside there. I mean, there's, this is an 11 start sample compared to 70 or 80 starts over the last three years where he was a solid, if not spectacular, uh, a fun, spectacular starting pitching option. So I, I don't think I, it would take a lot of chutzpah to draft him, I think in 2021, but he's a guy I would absolutely depending on where he goes, and again, depending on if he gets that normal spring training, there is some upside there. It's it's very difficult for me to just write him off over an 11-game sample. I think one of the things that with me when it comes to Robbie Ray is that if he's going to sign a contract in this offseason, obviously you couldn't ask for a worse contract year from a guy who's about to be a free agent. <laughs> Boy, no I assume kidding. the only teams that are going to give him a – guaranteed starting jobs, which Robbie Ray has very adamantly said, I am a starter is going to be a lower tier team. Someone that he can sign a one year prove it contract with. If that's the case for me, I feel like that knocks him down the pegs a little bit farther because I just don't see a good team. That's going to give him the opportunities for wins and, and all the rest giving him an opportunity to start at the back end of their rotation. I assume it's going to be a team that is, like you said, cautiously optimistic that they're hoping that they can get 2018 Robbie Ray rather than 2020 Robbie Ray. So I think for me, that makes me press the brakes a little bit on him in terms of his future outlook. But even in a year like 2020, where he is awful, he is still more than a strikeout per inning. He's still a guy who gets people out. I mean, it it doesn't happen often enough this year, but he's got 63 strikeouts in 47 innings. The guy can still strike people out, and if that is still a thing that he can move forward with into 2021, and like you said, if his that new pitching motion can finally sink in over the offseason and he can cut those walks back even just a little bit, He's going to be a really interesting bounce-back candidate for someone, and I think someone come next year, a very interesting trade candidate when we talk about the trade deadline, if he can look like we've seen Robbie Ray has looked in the past, 
he might be someone who could very easily hop from a non-contending to a contending team at the deadline next year. Robbie Ray, an interesting guy just because of the wild swings you might get from him. Uh, but that's, unfortunately, that's bumping up against our time limit here. So that is our show for today, guys. We have so much more to talk about, so please make sure you keep uh, you keep scheduled for the rest of our shows moving forward. Obviously, we the end of the fantasy baseball regular season is this week, but we will continue doing shows into the baseball playoffs. So please make sure you are still subscribed and tuning in for that. We are going to be talking a lot about future outlooks. I mean, I have a list here that we scratched the surface of. So we have so much more to talk about. Be sure to be tuning in. And speaking of, make sure you tune in tomorrow for our next episode. DJ and Drew will have an episode out tomorrow morning. So please be sure to uh, tune in for that. And obviously, if you are listening to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. We love those five-star reviews. So please keep them coming. You can follow me on Twitter at Call Don't Lie, all one word. And you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Um, and obviously, guys, we've got five more days of the fantasy baseball season. Make sure you are tuning to rotoworld.com on a regular minute-to-minute basis for the next five days. We're almost there. Five days left. Make sure you're on rotoworld.com all the time for the next five and make sure you win that title. So we look forward to having you on our next shows next week. But until then, stay safe out there. Get that ship. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.